0: And we're rolling. Now. We're rolling. is yeah. This well, This is exciting. this is our, This is the podcast podcast in. If I mean, even if, if Nick Cage stops making films today, and we finish this journey of watching every single Nicolas Cage film in order, that's like seventy-five films.
1: Yeah, what do you think we'll average? Like one, like one a week. That's probably uh, that's, that's that's even too ambitious. I mean, that's I ambitious. Like, right.
0: That's that's a lot. That's like mainlining a drug for months.
1: I honestly don't think I can handle that.
0: <laughs> no. You have to like you have to get some perspective. You have to like back off and and then duck back in. Uh it's definitely it's going to be a wild ride. To oh s- yeah, definitely. To start with. And then I think it's going to get wilder. Well, so the, I mean, I was talking to you. I I approached you about this um for a bunch of reasons because I I Nicholas Cage has been he sort of turned into this like kitsch figure, I think, thanks to like YouTube and thanks to well, and thanks to his performances. Um, but you know, like in high school, I would tell people that Nicolas Cage was my favorite movie star because i really liked con air
1: (laughs) that was that was like the the con air was the barometer in which you judged all other like Nicolas cage performances or just performances in general
0: you know i don't i don't even know if it was his performance in that movie that's just a really really good movie for what it is Uh, oh
1: yeah I mean, it's like one of the best. It's
0: one of the best. Michael
1: luck. Bay was on such a role when he yeah. made that
0: film. It's it's an ensemble action movie, which you don't get a lot of really good ones. And uh, and it's on fire. But anyway, I so I don't know. And, and people, no one really cared like one way or the other. They're like, okay, I guess. Yeah, he's that guy who's in The Rock. But um, he's sort of, became, I think, after, So, when, but when we were talking about this, um, I I told you my theory that his filmography kind of splits into three even parts. Right. The, the first 25 movies up to leaving Las Vegas are classic cage movies where, uh, the performances, I think the performances are always interesting. Like,
1: Oh, I mean all the ones I've seen anyway, definitely.
0: Yeah. Whether, I mean, whether they're, they're the right performance for the film is up to the person to judge but the choices that he makes are unlike any choices anyone
1: and i feel like that's something that people that detractors of cage really harp on a lot is that well sure he performs but like it's never the right performance right but i mean undeniably that's what makes him one of the most exciting actors to watch yeah i think
0: i think so it, I, yeah, because it, it's just because it, uh, he's fearless, at least at that point, he was completely fearless. Like there's some films like like Peggy Sue Got Married or Vampire's Kiss or things where you're like, I, I don't know. I he's he whatever he thought his reputation was, he was willing to, uh, <laughs> to throw it in the shredder <laughs> at any given point. And uh, that's pretty fun. And then uh, he got a. He, then he won an Oscar, which people forget.
1: Yeah, that's insane to me. That I mean, I it, it's a phenomenal performance and a it really, is. really good movie. But it it's is. just amazing to me, even that. Cause it was pretty low budget too. Wasn't it? Yeah. I think so. There wasn't, it it wasn't, it wasn't very like glamorous. No, it it wasn't like, it didn't feel like a Hollywood film.
0: Well, and it's, it's funny too, that it's like, okay, so if, if that is his best performance, let's say what it mostly calls for is him being drunk out of his mind and, you know, (laughs) acting pretty loopy. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting in retrospect, but you know, but, but then he he went on to make a bunch of action movies and became a big movie star with right. The Rock and Con Air and Face Off and whatever came after that. And then I think I think we broke it down like to like The Wicker Man, maybe that. Okay, um, people, that,
1: that's the end of his second. Yeah, phase? of like
0: the class. I, well, people started to turn on him. I think right. they kind of got. I, tired of the movies he was choosing <laughs>
1: i mean i could understand why if, yeah. you, if you look at that 90s run and then you end up at the wicker man you're just kind of like yeah. really
0: yeah and you've got like this like really modeling stuff like fam the family man and like uh oh
1: wait is that the one is that like that's the uh that's the it's a wonderful life thing that he did, I think right? So. I've never the, seen the, it. The, the the Christmas
0: one. That's yeah. okay. He dies or something, and then there was like City of Angels and stuff too. With There's,
1: the Goo Goo Doll with soundtrack. The Goo Goo Doll
0: song. Yeah, so I, you know, I, he definitely like whatever goodwill from whatever corners he was building goodwill, they uh, he he uh, he sort of drained them. And I think what also happened is. He went he was like bankrupt because he he bought well he bought like a castle in Germany.
1: Yeah. And there's like a pyramid in, in New Orleans right. or something yeah. too. Like
0: a, a mausoleum yeah. or something. Uh he also bought a haunted mansion in New Orleans. Um the haunted mansion that the Disney haunted mansion is based on. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. I didn't I didn't know about that. Yeah, there's some interview with him where he's on like Letterman or something. And he's like, you know, some people buy beachfront property, but I've ghostfront ghost front property. <laughs> and, but I, you know, I forget who this is going into hearsay, but I have a friend whose friend was his personal assistant at that time. And they said that like when he bought that mansion and started living in that mansion, he like, he went a little crazy and got cursed.
1: (laughs) I mean, I would, that makes sense to me. Yeah. It's like, you're buying the haunted mansion. I don't know what you expect. Yeah.
0: And it's, it it mansion with this like terrible history of the, I think the woman who owned it had a bunch of slaves and like tortured them on the regular and stuff. So it's kind of like, I I don't know. It, it, it's a little, it's a little weird going into it lighthearted. Like, yeah, let's just, you know, if, if you are one to, uh, be interested in ghosts and believe in energy or something could you
1: imagine like... the open house on that one <laughs> just like and in this room you'll find the, yeah, the 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 plantation
0: slave torture chamber yeah exactly and no one's there but Nicolas cage <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> only Nicolas cage
0: yeah put it on my bill um do i what? have enough i, I bought what a tyrannosaurus bill? skull earlier
1: I dinosaur think... eggs man I I he needs swing. He needs a room in the Haunted Mansion to put all his dinosaur (laughs) eggs.
0: If there were a Disney uh, attraction that was the Haunted Mansion post-Nick Cage purchase, just filled with all the bullshit that he bought, (laughs) I feel like that would be a whole next level of uh, fantasy. (laughs) Anyway, um, so he got bankrupt and then apparently started to uh, just appear in anything.
1: Yeah, well I mean I feel like when you with with that kind of lifestyle you need to continue working to yeah. to keep it up regardless of what the project is. Like yeah. I'm I'm sure that he hasn't for probably quite a number of years at this point now he hasn't really been able to like say no to anything. Right and like, does he really? But you know, then again, you have to say like, does he really even care about that anymore? Like, yeah. I like, I feel like he's once you have, once you're at the level in your life where you're buying the haunted mansion and, and like <laughs> dinosaur skulls, I think, I think your work like ceases to be something that you, uh,
0: takes se- not yeah.
1: like I don't want to say take seriously, but you know, he's like, well, whatever, it's it's another movie.
0: Well, he's done. He, I mean, I feel like he's done it all. Like, what else is what.
1: No, he has, though. He's been literally in every single genre of movie, maybe. And he's
0: worked with, uh, you know, a lot of the really big boy directors. Even in in that period, um, you know, he worked with Herzog and worked with David Gordon Green. And, uh, you know, like, he's, for all the, like, really questionable choices that he's made, he's been, I mean, David Lynch... Francis Ford Coppola, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a bunch of others that I'm forgetting. Michael Mann. <laughs> wait, what, what Michael Mann film was he in? I think it was Snake Eyes. That that was a,
1: I didn't even realize it was a Mann film. I think film. so. I, okay. might, I
0: might be wrong. Okay. But anyway, well, that's the journey that we're setting ourselves up for. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, it's, it, it's going to be fun. But today, we're starting with uh, a TV pilot, his first credit. Uh, called the best of times, and he, he
1: was still credited as uh, Nicholas Coppola right. in the credits.
0: Yeah, he's he's Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, um, but he uh, after this he changed his name to Nick Cage after Luke Cage, the uh, <laughs> the Marvel superhero Iron. <laughs> um, Power did he just man. think it
1: sounded cool? Did he like the character? Like why oh, did like, why Ma- did he change why did he choose that name?
0: He loves Marvel and he loves Really. Like, yeah, I mean that's why he's Ghost Rider too, later. He, oh, he loves yeah. those two characters. Oh my god. And he named his son Cal L, which is DC, but you know, that's the Superman. Superman. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's a he's a nerd. But um so I, I have pulled up here a uh a clip from a commencement address that he gave to Cal State Fullerton uh, in 2001 that um, he talks a little bit about growing up as a Nicolas Cage. Let's have a listen.
2: I was born on January 7th, 1964 in Long Beach, California. From what I understand, I was considered an unusual child. My father thought I was from another planet, something the way I looked and also in the way I looked at the world. I remember thinking that I was different, too, and with every trip to the doctor's office, I was shocked that they didn't discover my blood was, in fact, green and that I had 30 ribs too many with each x-ray. When I was four, I was having very colorful and powerful nightmares every night. Hieronymus Bosch-like characters would visit me and 50-foot-tall blonde women would grab me out of the bathroom. I was being chased by clowns and ventriloquist dummies, all of which, of course, were in my overactive imagination, but I could make them very real for myself just by, just by thinking about them. I began to dread going to sleep at night. Around the time of my sixth birthday, I realized that I had to get the hell out of here, whatever here is. I was sitting on the living room floor watching TV, and a show came on whose name I forget, but on it, I saw two youths fall into the TV within the TV, and they were all excited about walking through this TV world. I knew then that I wanted to escape inside the TV as well. I think this is my first memory of wanting to be an actor. What is interesting to me is that this blurry, half-formed, almost subconscious notion of wanting to be on screen was coinciding with a time when my imagination was at its most fertile and beleaguered. I point this out because it illustrates so clearly the fuel needed for the creation of art.
0: Leave that there. So I I feel like there's a little window into uh, both young Nicolas Cage's uh, mind frame and also why I'm fascinated with him as a human.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like he really took his dreams very seriously.
0: Yeah. I I have, I think he, he sounds like a person who continues to live in a dream world. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, which I relate to. Um, and so I I guess, so then we have a little portrait of this skinny kid who is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew and has dreams of becoming, of, of leaving reality. And he's, and he's in Hollywood, Taking classes, I believe, with Crispin Glover, and oh I, so they I think they knew each other okay that, that i that's another thing I might be wrong about, but a lot of those guys, like Sean Penn and stuff they're all uh they were all like rubbing shoulders together so um and then Nicholas Cage and Crispin Glover both uh appeared in the best of times um so I guess I'd seen this before. But this was your first time watching this. What what were your thoughts?
1: First of all, they it was not, it was not representative at all. I think of what it's actually like to be a teenager, which is what's funny about all of these like teen shows. Yeah, which which is it. It gave me sort of like a feeling of like uh, like proto Saved by the Bell kind mm. of, in the sense that like all these like very specific stereotypes of teenagers, were all. Uh, just, like, living in this weird, like,
0: candy-coated world where it's like, oh, isn't being a teen crazy? Yeah, they hit, like, every, they're, like, the big dance, like, hanging out with the gang at the soda shop, (laughs) doing the car wash, and chores, aren't they a drag? (laughs) Like, chores are such a drag. And,
1: (laughs) And they had this, all the musical numbers are completely, like, place I mean, just
0: the fact that there are <laughs> musical numbers is really bizarre um yeah but i i was thinking the exact same thing that it's like the characters keep having these asides to the camera where they <laughs> they're kind of like you know i know we've been having a lot of fun but being a teenager's hard <laughs> and and they're like addressing adults which is weird because uh, I, I would assume that this was a show for kids at least I, I would assume i mean part of the conception but it seems like uh, th- they keep being like you know quit giving us a hard time we're t- just trying to wear the clothes we like right and I, and i don't know and also like so i, I look the the guy who directed it uh, don misher uh, is primarily a director uh, he worked on laugh in Big surprise. Oh, okay. And, uh, but he primarily has directed the Academy Awards and Super Bowl halftime shows.
1: Really? Those were his other credits?
0: Yeah, a bunch of them. And, and the writers were all coming from like like Sonny and Share, their show, and okay. like America's Funniest Home Videos after this. So that's kind of like, it's, it's this weirdly old Hollywood kind of TV comedy yeah, sensibility. It gave
1: me a real sense of, So, like, Nick Cage and Crispin Glover, both in their prime, are very, like, emblem... Like, you associate them with the 80s. Yeah. But the interesting thing about this was it came out in the 80s, because it came out in, like, 81 or 82, 81. So, it was definitely in the 80s, but it felt it very very like tv from the 70s yeah, like it had a very sure. like laverne and shirley type sensibility to it with the exception of the musical numbers yeah. which well, were just like what is going on but
0: when they say it, that the 80s didn't you know the 80s didn't quote unquote start until like right. 1983 or something and i think this is very much that like from the the song at the start. I mean, Crispin
1: Glummer's wearing like giant polyester collars yeah. on all of his shirts. <laughs> yeah. You know?
0: And so many sweaters. There are so many like ridiculous sweaters and like the tight pants. And it, yeah, it's, it, it really is between, between pop cultural like tectonic shifts. It's this weird like uh, just collision of, of sensibilities that is just doesn't really, uh, doesn't really match anything that came before or after it and whatever they're trying to do. Like,
1: yeah, that's the thing. What are they trying? What are they trying to do? You don't know what they're trying to do.
0: What did they, what did they like? This was a pilot, but what were the following episodes going to be like, you know, I I feel like they used up the cliche grab bag.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they really—they covered a surprising amount of ground in what, like, forty-five minutes. Yeah, it was supposed to—I guess it was supposed to be an hour pilot. But yeah, I mean, that's like there's a lot of stuff, which is funny because they cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time, but they don't. They go a lot of unnecessary places at the same time. So it's like, man, if you had trimmed it down, I don't know if it ever would have been good. Right. But if they had trimmed it down, like you could have fit it in a half hour and it would have been way more coherent.
0: Yeah, well, sure. I mean, because there's... Uh, okay, there's there's Crispin Glover who bizarrely who is
1: phenomenal by the way. Crispin well, Glover is so good in this, and yeah. it's funny because he is already Crispin Glover, but he looks like he's like 14. Yeah. So it's really it's this weird like you don't you don't like you're you're not processing exactly he, that you're watching Crispin Glover.
0: He and Nicolas Cage are like weirdly formed already in their. These this is their first role for both of them, and it's like. I mean, the, the lines that they're given are really like stock, but the delivery is like couldn't be coming from anyone else. Right, I I have a clip actually of Crispin. Uh, this is him outside the big dance. Uh, let's, let's take a listen just to give a, a sense. My
3: mom and dad, they met at a school dance. And uh, not like this dance though, an old fashioned dance. Uh. You should see them when they dance. I could die. I have to close the shutters so the neighbors can't see through the windows. Sometimes sometimes when my dad's feeling really good. He comes in through the he comes into the kitchen and grabs my mom around the waist and he starts doing this crazy routine. Oh and 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 he, he sings this crazy song. Uh, let's twist again, like we did last summer, by some guy named Fats, or Chubby, or or Tubby, or something like that, I I don't know. And and he says things like, this is groovy. (laughs) I can't stand it. Well, anyway, I guess while they were twisting, they liked each other, and they got married, and they had me. Well, like they say. One out of three ain't bad. (laughs) I guess. Anyway. I guess they're all right. It's just... When they dance, they're just... not with it. You know what I mean? I'm gonna go in now.
0: Like, you know, I've seen... I've seen Crispin Glover's live show... I think four or five times, and uh, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of his, and he has a a way of delivering mundane lines as if they're coming from like a crazy obsessive, and and things like things like it's just when they dance, you know, <laughs> it sounds like it, it could be Willard or something. I don't know if that's a stretch, but I.
1: But that's what I mean when I said that he is already fully formed yeah. in this thing. Yeah, is that he he already he's. I mean, it's Crispin Glover doing Crispin Glover when he was like really young, and that's right. That's kind of cool to see that he, like, it's like Hollywood accepted him for who he was. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to like adapt to like. Right. Fit the mold. Which is the same for Nick Cage, right. honestly. Well, they both, both of them. They're uh, both insane iconoclasts that just kind of do whatever the fuck they want.
0: Right. Well, and, and Nick Cage landed Valley Girl after this, which was a big hit. And Crispin Glover landed, I don't know, directly after, but he was in Back to the Future. Right. And then that gave them some sort of carte blanche to, like, you know. Yeah, because both of those movies were...
1: Well, I don't think Valley Girl was a huge success, it, not but a, it definitely not did Back well. to the Future size, no. but
0: it put him on the map. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So,
1: they, yeah, they had clout. They could just kind of go wherever they wanted.
0: Well, it's funny, you, you know, like, again, like, g- growing up, when I, uh, when I decided that Nick Cage was my favorite actor and, and then, like, took some pride in it because nobody else wanted that, and I was like, no, you guys don't understand. And, and so I wanted to start watching all this stuff, and when I found out that he was in this thing, this pilot called The Best of Times, uh, thanks to, like, IMDb in the mid-2000s, you know, I wanted to watch it for years. It was like a kind of a white whale for me, but I, I also kind of expected I, I don't know I didn't know what to expect, but I didn't think I didn't think it could possibly live up to whatever bizarre thing I wanted it to be. But I, you know, it, it passes expectations. Yeah, it does
1: definitely. I think it also helped that I had like literally no expectation because I asked you not to tell me a thing about it before yes. I watched it, except. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but it was just like, I, I needed to come in with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And it honestly was, came out of left field entirely for yes. me.
0: Yeah. It didn't even come out of the field. It it come, it like came out of the dugout. <laughs> um, You wanted to say something about uh, Nick Cage's, He he's given one dramatic speech.
1: Yeah. So as we were saying before, thank you for reminding me, <laughs> yeah. as we were saying before, all of the asides that the, teens do to the camera are like really contrived and sort of like don't progress the plot they're just like pure exposition and right. like really cheeky but the one the one that actually made like it gave such gravity to this <laughs> that was not present anywhere else in yeah. the show was what was the one that Nick Cage does on the beach. Right. Where he's just stares so he's standing on the beach Uh, or no, no, it's just a frame of the beach and he walks into frame and he just looks at the camera and he's like, yeah, floppy hair. He's got like a weird like tank top on and he just stands there and he's like, I just, uh, my dad says I have to be more of a man. And, and, and when he went to Korea, that's what made him a man. And you know, now that I'm 18, I'm part of the draft. Uh, Of course I'm totally paraphrasing. Like, I don't know what, like the line, you haven't memorized the speech. No, I know. But, uh, (laughs) he goes my dad said that he became a man when he went to korea and i uh and now i'm 18 so i'm part of the draft and there's this whole thing going on in el salvador and i hope that that doesn't become a war because right. then i'll have to go to el salvador and i might die right and and i think i'm figuring out how to be a man fine at home i don't have to go to war to do it yeah and and then he just gets really like like he almost looks like he's going to cry yeah. and he looks off into the distance and then like at the waves and then he just walks slowly in right. the direction and the camera doesn't move. It just follows him yeah. walking like out into the waves and then it cuts to the next scene. Uh, and did- then and then you're like, wow, like that was really heavy. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder why they put that in there because it, it, it didn't, it, it was an exposition and it didn't advance the plot at all. And it was just like, did did they feel like Nick Cage needed like to like uh, stretch his wings a little bit and have like an emotional scene or I just, I I, I wonder what the impetus was for that.
0: His character is such a meathead too throughout the rest of the thing. Like even like Crispin Glover, when he's introducing the whole gang, he's like, this is my best friend, Nicholas. Look at him. He's, like, so muscular. W- would you say tell him that you weren't his friend or he's something? Like, like, he's,
1: like, pumping iron in <laughs> <yeah>. the background.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody seen I don't believe, really, that Nicolas Cage is friends with any of these people because he seems like a total loose cannon who's just, like, yeah, just lifting weights on the beach and, uh, and dancing. And a lot of dancing. But, um, yeah, but then suddenly, like, right... right right before the end of the show, you get this weird moment of gravitas that uh, you're like, oh, wow, he's got a lot of family pressure and he's worried about the war. No wonder he's... And then he ends that speech by kind of being like, but, you know, when you tell girls that you're going to war, like... Oh, that's right. Sleep. Yeah. And and at the very end, he's dancing with this girl at the big dance and, uh, and he tells her that he's going to war and she, like, holds him tighter and he just kind of, like...
1: But he's not going to war. I know. That's what's funny about yeah. it is he has this, like, deep revelation about going to war. And then in the next scene, he just tells some chick he's going to war so she'll bang him. Yeah. And it's like, it's like wait, so what is... So did your monologue not teach you anything?
0: <laughs> he's got deep emotions, but maybe not a But, you know, he's still a teenager. Conscience. He just, yeah. He's supposed to get his dick wet, that's all. <laughs> just a teen, just like you and me and... All, all the other kids relating Stop to... Stop judging it. us. Yeah. We're just teenagers. Yeah. Remember when you were a teen? Oh yeah,
1: yeah that was also the, the cap at the very end, the last scene, Crispin Glover's in his room, sure. like talking to the camera as he does for a lot of this and he's, and I don't know, he gives a whole like signing off monologue and and then he just goes, so the next time you want to judge us teenagers, <laughs> just remember... You were here not that long ago. Remember what it feels like, and then that's kind of like the end of it. And that's you're it. like, really? That's what we're taking away? Is like, hey, just remember, <laughs> remember what it's like to be a teen.
0: And yet, you have these like, you have these old Hollywood types who are like directing these teens to do big song and dance numbers, who clearly, like, I feel like they exhausted their whole uh, repertoire of of uh, things teens are interested in and do. And like they, this was the shot but they but they didn't they didn't
1: actually they didn't actually exhaust it. they just uh used a couple tropes like that's the thing is they could have gone further if they needed to find more stuff, but they just put in all the wrong stuff
0: <laughs> what where, where do you think they could have gone What would have uh, happened in episode two?
1: I don't know, that's a really good question, so I think they definitely would have started to define the relationships a little bit more right you know because there was that whole thing with the the other friend the uh, crispin's other friend who isn't uh cage who was the nerd
0: yeah he's like trying to get a yeah, date. yeah he's
1: he's trying to get a date and there's a girl that's like in their friend group and he's talking to her and he's like well you know i just really think that we already get along and we hang out all the time and like i kind of like you and then she's just like well, you're a nerd, and then she like runs away. <laughs> yeah, and he just sits there. He's like, and you feel kind of bad for him. Uh, but anyway, like you know, I think they they would have figured out more of like, okay, so these characters like like each other or are dating, or like these characters. You know, I feel like they would have defined the like
0: the the cliques and the social groups a little more. Yeah, maybe. I I mean, my whole sense is that it's like, I mean, I haven't watched much Laugh in, but it seems like the those characters are just kind of one note joke jokes that just come out and like deliver their thing and, you know, deliver a punchline. And then it's like, Oh, there's Kevin who, but, but that's how TV worked in the seventies. Yeah.
1: You know, I guess I'm trying to think of like mash, I guess was went above and beyond, but there weren't many sitcoms that really, um, that took the characters beyond just being like jokes.
0: And especially one with like this big of a cast and this large of a scope. Like you, you have the girl who is trying to be a, uh, trying to join the band. Like, oh, yeah. she's like disconnected from everybody else, but has she's her...
1: only in the scenes with the band. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then you have the girl who's like trying to lose weight and then has that weird, that weird monologue where she's like, like my cute teacher, told i think he likes me he told me you're failing this class and it's the way he said it you're failing this class and she's like lying on her bed and like <laughs> oh also there were some there was some really like let's talk about the like weird kind of sexual moments because there was that moment where the three girls meet and they're like Oh, you missed swim class the other day. Oh
1: and yeah, and then they're talking about like how the boys all swim naked. Yeah, and then and then one of them saw all the naked boys in the in the pool or something.
0: Well, yeah, the the the, the naked boys all came out at the, during the girls' swim practice on accident, and then they were trying to get back in the locker room, but there was just a crush of naked boys pushing them out, and they couldn't and and then the 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 girl, the kind of chubby girl is is being like, "Why didn't I go to swim class and, and I mean was that a thing
1: the was it like no, I don't know was it I wasn't a teenager like a, in the early eighties. I don't know if it was a thing, but i i I doubt that like
0: ancient Greek rules.
1: <laughs> yeah also in a high school in like middle right. America, I'm pretty sure that that's like probably illegal I don't think that for is. like the for like the swim instructors to be like, "All right, guys, we're swimming naked Strip today. down
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um that happened, and then the whole the whole music sequence in the this denim the jeans store was I
1: thought it was bad when I saw the car wash right, and then like ten minutes later they do they do the denim store.
0: Yeah. And
1: and I'm I'm like at first I thought it had some correlation to the next scene where Crispin tells his girlfriend or not his girlfriend his friend like right. hey, I had a dream right. last night uh about you. Uh, right. And then she's like, "Oh, what was I doing?" And then he's like, "Well, you weren't doing anything, but I dreamed that you were my girlfriend." And then right. and there's like a weird and then there's a weird moment where there's like sexual tension and then Anyway, I but thought for some no, reason it like, oh, I tied the, oh,
0: that was a dream sequence right
1: so 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 I thought that like the the gene dance sequence the gene store dance sequence somehow that's a weird sense to say yes. the gene store dance sequence yes. uh tied into him his dream because it was such a quick jump cut to that next scene that I thought
0: maybe. Um, Me too, but it it seems like just an excuse to get a bunch of teenage girls in like tight jeans and. Have I mean, them, like,
1: were all the dance sequences like dream sequences? Like, I, I I think you could argue that like not one of them necessarily and definitely happened in real life.
0: Yeah, but what is real life in in this universe? Like, um, because okay, Crispin is like the. Remember when we had the car wash? That was a big day for us, and then. Yeah, but they're they're not even watching those cars. They're just dancing on them. They're just running around and playing the fiddle. And
1: <laughs> yeah, they had a they had a motherfucker playing the fiddle in that scene to like disco. It, why?
0: Where did that come from? <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like these are these teens are kind of like town terrors. Like you know, they start a car wash and they don't wash any cars. No, there's a line of honking cars and upset adults they They go into poor Jackie Mason's seven eleven all the time asking for for money and asking for their talking heads tapes and, <laughs> I mean we haven't even touched on fucking Jackie mason the the teens favorite
1: so he was like the uh. Uh, in Happy Days, the guy that owned the diner—what yeah. was his name? Anyway, he was like that character. Right. But he owned like he owned a convenience store, and all the kids, for some weird reason, hung out like at the corner store. Right. And this dude was like an older guy that was like giving them advice and stuff.
0: Just basically doing his like Borscht Belt shtick. Behind the counter
1: Everything he said was like this And you're <laughs> yeah. like well that's really 70s like TV comedy Like, at,
0: he came to the dance He was invited to the no, big dance No he got tricked
1: into it <laughs> he got The tr- kid was like you're gonna provide the snacks And he's like great uh, here's my budget And then the kid was like just kidding You're gonna do it for free
0: Oh, They're just running roughshod over yeah. this I mean so They're coming at us Telling us not to judge them But you know what I'm judging
1: I mean, they're kind of wreaking havoc, to be honest.
0: Kids these days need to send them to El Salvador, put a gun in their hands.
1: That'll teach him to be a man.
0: <laughs> Let's, uh, I, I have one other clip. I don't have a good lead in for it, but this is my favorite moment that uh, Nick Cage has, uh, which is kind of his introduction. Uh, this is him on the beach, uh, punching a punching bag and, uh, and speaking.
3: Hello? Well, how about that? He must have been cut off.
2: Well, <laughs> wait, remember Rocky? Boy, what a movie. Yeah. The best scene was when Stallone kept hitting that side of beef. Remember that? He kept hitting that side of beef, just smashing it with his fist. That was all raw. Hit, smash, hit, making it all bloody. You sure did a job on that beef. Nick? Yep. Yo? <laughs> Do you ever see
1: any Disney
3: pictures?
1: You ever see any Disney pictures?
0: Yeah, well the joke is that his friend is eating a hamburger and Nicolas Cage talking about Rocky hitting a side of beef is making him feel sick, which doesn't doesn't really Doesn't read. make any
1: sense to no. me.
0: I feel like what what we've been doing this whole time is trying to sum up moment by moment this thing that is sort of impossible to sum up without the reference of seeing it. Like, I know if I, it, it's a funny place for us to start because if I listened to this podcast, I know I would be like, what the, f- what are they talking about?
1: Uh, We're going to run into that a lot, I think. Y- y- like, anytime you try to describe uh, anything you've seen mm-hmm. over a mic or like mm-hmm. just you know, audially, Right. It's always difficult. But that's I think what I like about doing something like this is that the people listening will actually come up with a better idea, I think, in their <laughs> mind of how they think it is. <laughs> the reality. Which, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it's like would I ever watch this if I wasn't doing this this podcast? Absolutely not, like I know you said it was like a white whale for you, but yeah. for me it was it's the kind of thing where like all the the like the t v movies and guest spots at like the bottom of a star's i m d b roster like never interest me hardly ever
0: um therein lies the difference right,
1: but I feel like if someone had described this to me right, I definitely would have come up with a completely insane version of it in my mind yeah. that is different but equally as insane right. as what it actually is yeah there i because I, it's going to be insane most of the nick cage movies we watch are
0: just going to be bonkers right or i i mean the, the in the back end we'll run into a bunch of boring stuff but for this first well then it's this, our
1: job to talk about it so it sounds yeah,
0: interesting exactly this first run though um we, we've got some some good stuff and uh and this is you know i i wish i had something prepared where i could talk about you know the time media changing and nick cage being the actor of the, of this new this new era but i mean he's really is an actor out of time and and this is a weird pilot sort of out of time um that probably, nobody would watch this if those two actors weren't in it like um it it would have been relegated to the dustbin of history uh, with all the other TV fucking failed TV pilots, like, <laughs> but
1: I Thou- tens of thousands of them probably,
0: but just as a, as an example of, of TV executives, just spitballing being so out of touch, but so confident in, um, a, a vision, uh, composed of a bunch of things that have worked in over the past two decades, you know, like a variety show. It can't miss, y- you know, like, and teens, everyone loves teens. We'll talk to them real. We'll we'll talk on their level and give them things that they can relate to and bring in big stars like Jackie Mason. So the, the parents can watch a lot, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I kind of, I, I can kind of follow the logic, but I can't,
1: I I definitely can't follow the execution.
0: Yeah, no. and and whoever green-lighted it, um, I'm sure, went home with their tail between their legs <laughs> at some point. Um, is there anything else we want to touch on?
1: Specifically from this? Yeah. Not really. I think I covered everything.
0: IMDb says Ricky Martin is in it as a character named Silk. I, I didn't see him.
1: Oh, I wish i had known that. I would have looked harder.
0: <laughs> I I don't know. I thought maybe he was like a member of the band or something, but Possibly. Yeah. I, they were it was mostly white people.
1: Yeah. Was this pre-menudo? I don't know. It had to have been.
0: Yeah. That's the band.
1: Is it like The Ricky Martin? You followed the link to his IMDb page?
0: Yeah, but I mean, who knows what, you know, what, what that's worth? I mean, he wasn't in the actual credits of the thing. There's right. no character named Silk. Right. Says. <laughs> all the other characters are <laughs> named after their actual names. So oh, yeah.
1: That's that's the other crazy thing about this that we actually didn't talk about that I think is worth, is, is worth talking about is that all the characters' names are or first names anyway, right. are the names of the actors. As like like Nick Cage's character is named Nicholas. Right. Crispin's character is named Crispin, which definitely is not a coincidence <laughs> no. that they also named that character Crispin. No, it's so it's like, it's it, like it has they're playing to be, themselves. Yeah. And then the other characters, I don't know their actor names, but I'm assuming they're probably the same as Kevin. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. But that's really interesting that they just decided to just be incredibly meta with that one specific thing about the characters.
0: <laughs> and At the end, uh, Crispin Glover over the credits reintroduces you to him. You're like, he's like, you remember my friend Nicholas? That's Nicholas Coppola over there, and there's you know yeah. Janet Buttibush playing. <laughs> I want to talk about that when they go into the seven eleven and just jam on those empty bottles and start hitting all the pro all yeah. the merchandise. but I don't have anything else to say except just to point I mean out that's that what happens that, that happened. there's
1: also a scene in the convenience store that to me was with the exception of uh, Nicholas Cage's uh going to war monologue, the best part of the show for me because Crispin shows up to jackie uh, to Jackie Mason's convenience store uh-huh. and he goes like, Hey, Jackie. Do you have that Oh no, no. He doesn't even show up and ask him. He shows up and starts rifling through all all, all the tapes and the cassettes that are like on the counter. And Jackie Dan- Mason's dancing. like, "Yeah." And, and he's like kind of dancing to himself. And Jackie Mason's like, "What are you looking for?" And then he's like, "Hey, man, have you got that new Talking Heads tape?" And then he's like, <laughs> and he finds it. He's like, "Oh man, this is my favorite. Listen to this." And then he plays like
0: a really he Plays like Slippery People, I yeah, think. Yeah, he
1: plays some thing that isn't like a hit talking heads. He plays like a deep heads cut. And then, and then he, and then he goes, Hey man, this is the best part. And he turns it up really loud. And it's like a, one of the crazy, like frip guitar solos or something where he's just like, the guitar is doing like shredding it, like crazy sounds that don't even sound like a guitar. And he's like, this is the best part of it. It sounds like an elephant. Right. And then Jackie Mason's like, Hey, turn that noise off.
0: You know what the best part to me is the silence you know, it, it's funny because that moment was the moment I identified with the most, like my teenage experience, because I definitely did that. Not to like some poor convenience store clerk, but like to my mom or something. I, I mean, I might as well have given one of those speeches like, you know, you think I just listen to noise, but listen to this, man. Listen, it sounds like an elephant. How how's he do that? And Like, uh, I don't know. I was crisping in that moment. I couldn't I can't dance as well as he was. Yeah, he like, was surprisingly dancing really well. Both he and Nicolas Cage, who knew, can cut a rug.
1: I didn't. Is there any other movie where Nicolas Cage dances really well? I don't think I don't think I've seen it.
0: Yeah, like Honeymoon in Vegas or something maybe. I you know what? I bet it's coming. Let's let's keep an eye out. Okay. Now we're blasting off. Uh, we're going to skip his next credit is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is a fantastic movie, but he doesn't have a speaking part in it. He's like He's, he's a worker in the fast food restaurant that uh, uh, what's his name's character works in. So uh, there's no real reason to cover that film, except it, it is really good. But, uh, so next time we're going to go to Valley Girl, which.
1: Oh, it was Valley Girl before Rumblefish? Yeah. Okay.
0: And, cool. And Valley Girl's great.
1: Oh, it's great. I'm actually excited to watch that again. Yeah. Having, yeah. having actually grown up in the San Fernando Valley, I have a lot to say about that I know. depiction of. Uh, I mean, granted it was 15 years before I was a teenager in the Valley, but I feel like I, I related to it. I haven't seen it in about 10 years, but I, I related to it.
0: Yeah. And I didn't, I have no like points of reference for that. Like the rich people I knew in Oregon wore like polar fleece North face jackets, you know, it was, it was a different kind of scene. So, uh, I'm excited to watch it with an expert. An
1: expert. Yeah, you're your uh, you're local San Fernando Valley expert.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll sign off. Great. Thanks for listening.
1: And just remember, you were once a teenager. <laughs>